This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at. And uh, hey, you know, we're in December, uh, so happy Hanukkah for those that are still celebrating. I think we're still, I think we're, this is our last day, right? Um, no, there's two more days left. Sorry about that, guys. I'm obviously I'm not a Hanukkah celebrator, but for those that are celebrating, the great eight days of festive lights. And, you know, those that are getting ready for the uh, the other holidays, it's coming up fast. So, uh, you know, get your uh, get your holiday shopping done. But today we're talking about decision-making, um, what it really means. And we have uh, uh, Lee DePaulo here who serves as Disaster Tech Senior Vice President of Operations. And he was the former uh, regional administrator for FEMA Region 8 and where he oversaw the coordination of FEMA's all-hazard preparedness and emergency management efforts within the regions and also the 29 tribal nations. So Lee, welcome to EM Weekly. Hey, it's great to be here, Todd. Uh, and I can't believe it's December already. I mean, this this year is flying by. Absolutely. I mean, I remember 20, like 20 felt like it lasted forever. And then all <laughs> of a sudden we're, all of a sudden it's 2022. You know what I mean? It's just kind of a weird, <laughs> a weird thing. Yeah. So what do you have going on over uh, at Disaster Tech? Well, Disaster Tech, uh, we have quite a few things going on. So, you know, the, the core platform, uh, when you talked in the opening about the decision-making, is, is called Decision Science Integrated uh, Collaboration Plat Environment, DICE, as you'll hear, hear me refer to it. So the, one of the reasons I joined uh, Disaster Tech was because the DICE platform and the other work that the company is doing really helped solve a big problem that we faced in uh, FEMA and we face across emergency management. And that's the ability to synchronize the uh, local level, tribal level, state level, and federal level. So we're all working off the, the same information, the same situational awareness. Uh, we're able to communicate effectively back and forth uh, and uh, really build that same common operating picture, if you will, uh, as, as to uh, what's happening out there. So that's the, uh, the, the service as a software piece for the, the company that... Uh, for, uh, for disaster tech, but I'm lucky because I get to work on a, a number of other things uh, in the innovation space as well uh, that go along with both the DICE platform and, and some of the things, uh, the other uh, projects that we're working at. And I'm, I'm happy to go into a few of those if uh, if you're interested. Absolutely. Uh, innovation and in, in what we're doing with emergency management, I think, is is always critical. And um, I have a, I do have a couple of questions for you before we start going down that road because um, decision making and innovation I think kind of go together. Do you, do you agree with me or is, am I am I off base? No, I I definitely uh, agree with you. I mean, a lot of the way I look at, at at decision making or innovation, excuse me, is problem solving, right? And decision making inherently is is about uh, problem solving and making those right decisions so you can move forward. And in, in the case of emergency managers, save lives. So why why do you think at times that um, we we start taking a look at the you know hindsight being twenty twenty I understand that but we take a look at some of the decisions that are made in some of the most large larger dis disasters that we had say Katrina for instance Sandy things like this and we see where there's been missteps 
Um, is is that is that because of lack of of forethought on it, lack of innovation, or or is it just the decision making in the process without a lot of information? Like, what can we do with innovation to help with those decisions that are being made on those large scale disasters? Yeah, I think you know a lot of the challenges that we face in emergency management are are extraordinarily difficult, and. Uh, when you look back on the decisions in, in that regard, you realize that you know, making the decision was important to continue to move forward with where you were, but there are times you don't have the, the information and things that you need. I mean, COVID was, is the prime example, right? We, uh, we, we've talked about pandemics. There was an exercise in 2019 uh, on a pandemic, a national level exercise, uh, but everyone is so busy and moving on with real world stuff that you don't have time to sit back and truly absorb the lessons learned that you may get from an exercise like the 2019 exercise and, and help feed into the real world situation that we face with COVID uh, as, as an example, just using the, the pandemic. And it was, uh, it was an extraordinary challenge at first when you, when you take a look at the fact that uh, we didn't have the supplies we needed up front, the ventilators, the PPE, they're you know, made overseas in the can and, and trying to get that problem solved and understand the data that feeds that uh, was a significant challenge to, to get moving. But, you know, proud of the fact that uh, the work we did uh, at, in the interagency, uh, our work closely with the states and locals across the board uh, really uh, was impactful uh, once we got uh, moving on that end. Now, was are we going to look back and go, ooh, why did we make that decision? Yes, yes, we will, and we should. Right. Uh, but we just need we need to capture those to in, ensure that we actually learn from them. And I think uh, you know, one of the the challenges I've always had is is the lesson learned process is great, but it's capturing those and then going back and really uh, reviewing them. You know, if you're going to run an exercise on. Um, you know, an earthquake exercise, go back and review the past uh, after actions for that exercise, see what they learned, and then apply that as you're moving forward for the whole team. But that that doesn't happen very often. Right. It didn't happen in the military either, quite frankly. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Craig Fugate said the other day when we had the um, uh, when we had him on the fireside chat and when I was in New York, he said, um, when we don't learn from, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, basically he says, when we don't learn from our lessons, right? So if we're not learning from our lessons, they're not lessons learned, they're lessons observed. And, and I think that's, I think that's critical. I think some of the stuff that you guys are doing over at Disaster Tech specifically um, with, with DICE and also with Thor um, is the, the, or Voltron um, is the ability to, uh, uh, to capture those mistakes, if you will, and, and and learn from them. And is that part of the innovation work that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. The Project Voltron with Microsoft uh, is is quite exciting. So it's uh, it's serious gaming and simulation, working with folks that uh, have worked on the Xbox side and all that. But we're taking that and we're applying, applying it to the exercise environment. And uh, you'd be able to shape uh, almost any scenario that you can imagine and uh, be able to get real-time feedback. Uh, the injects and things that will happen through that system uh, are gonna be much uh, more robust than we can do now with measles lists and spreadsheets and white cells trying to do that because it, it'll just be able to, to work into elements of artificial intelligence, feed that kind of stuff. You can even pause it and say, okay, this just happened. What did we learn from it? You don't have to, um, 
you know, often exercises because of time constraints and everything else we do day one, um, full scenario. And there's a lot of benefit to doing day one, but you know, what about day 12 Yeah, and take a segment of that and see where you're at. And when the airport's still closed and power still hasn't been restored or whatever you want to do, uh, and, uh, and apply that. And you can, you can bounce around. Everyone can, can be part of it. So, you know, if you can, it can host, uh, you know, folks, a number of different folks across the board. So you have the, the local states, tribe, everyone working together in this, in this simulation environment and you're able to, to design it like you want. So, uh, really exciting stuff. Um, their CEO, Sean Griffin, disaster tech CEO, is going to be on, on your show on the 16th, I believe at noon. Yes. Yeah. Along with, uh, Wesley Williams from, uh, Microsoft. So, um, I encourage folks to tune into that and you'll get even a more in-depth uh, uh, explanation of what we're calling Project Voltron. And we did unveil it, uh, uh, had an overview at IA, IAEM conference up in uh, Grand Rapids. So that was nice to see a, a, a full room and, and really introduce that. So I'm, I'm excited about where that's going to go and, uh, you know, pun intended, game changer. <laughs> it is it is a game changer and you know i dan who's who's normally here with us today he's he's actually not able to make it um you know we we sat there and we watched it and we looked at each other and we said Dan, this is this is going to make a difference in in how we do uh training and exercises especially when you can get into like you said you know uh you know day 12 day 16 you know into the recovery aspect of it because we don't we don't really go there with exercises you know and and then we also get like a lot of artificialities in there, you know, when somebody goes, oh, yeah, we're going to order up 100,000 firefighters to fight this fire and they're going to be here tomorrow. It's like, come on, like, let's 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 put, you know, let's let's not go to and I would be hyperbole on that, by the way, everybody. No one really has 100,000 firefighters. Don't, don't, <laughs> get, don't get all upset. It's probably more like, you know, a couple hundred. But uh, the idea is, though, is, is ordering stuff and getting things in. Uh, we tend to um, sugarcoat the idea of, of how quick things get here and, and it really I think it hurts us when we go back into um, in the real world when we do say, "Hey, we're going to order up some stuff, and it's taking forever to get there." And it's like that's not how it happened in the exercise, you know. Um, it's funny you mentioned that the number of people when we were redoing our our Wasatch planning when I was in Region Eight, as we do um, uh, every five years at least, but uh, really doing an in depth relook at how we even do planning and. Just the, the first day, as we were kind of looking at how we're going to phase in resources, we asked all our, our partners and what, what they need uh, and, and all the different components of, of the FEMA, uh, FEMA side. What, what do you need to put in? And, and the list was like 10,000 people uh, into the Salt Lake City area. That's that's where the Wasatch Front is. A lot of people don't know the, the earthquake threat that exists there, yeah, uh, which is quite significant, um, particularly because of the number of unreinforced masonry structures that exist <laughs> across that, that area. So 10,000 people, um, no, that's not going to happen. And of course, you take that, that's the wish list, right? And you, you tailor that down from there to see what you can really put in, who needs to be there, and who, how, how do you support them? Because when you're, you know, you're not going to put people forward and, and stick them in a hotel uh, in, in the most challenging areas across there. You, know, you focus on life-saving, life-sustaining operations and, and moving forward. So it was an interesting point when you talk about throwing people uh at at a, at a problem um, right yeah what's exciting you right now uh, i think a couple things uh, that uh, i'm excited about besides voltron voltron you know i have to say is is at the top of the list but uh 
One of the things that I've had the opportunity to do uh, and carry on from my time at FEMA, where we did a lot of academic partnership uh, type of things, is uh, continue the partner, not continue a partnership, but start a new one with uh, Indiana University and their Crisis Technologies Innovation Lab. Um, they have a, a lot of capability uh, that can be focused on, on the, the response side and the mitigation side. They're, they're data sciences scientists, and uh, I really uh, think that they will enhance the, the uh, community and that, uh, uh, that thought leadership piece that's, that's out there and, and those sorts of things. Specifically, uh, a couple projects I'm working on with them. One is, uh, has to do with telemedicine. Um, and while it's a it's a large project, uh, U.S. Army is uh, is sponsoring that through the uh, Telemedicine Advanced Technology Research Center, or TATRIC, uh, as it's known. But they're specifically looking at uh, a learning accelerator, uh, disaster learning environment accelerator piece that uh, that has a lot of application. And ultimately, uh, well, you know, the primary purpose is for the battlefield. It, uh, it really has a lot of implications for the disaster community as well. Uh, patient care, uh, remotely getting expertise uh, uh, to but rural areas and things like that that might might not be on, on hand immediately. So excited where that that uh, project's going uh, for sure. Another uh, side project with them uh, that we're looking at uh, we put in for a small business technology transfer together. Uh, partnership. That's a, another one of those tools out there that the Fed government can use to really help solve problems. And this one came out of uh, uh, Office of Secretary of Defense looking at population migration. And so we're, we're, we propose building a, a population, population migration analysis platform uh, because there's going to be so many, uh, I mean, people are, are across the globe are moving to the coast. There's climate implications uh, for, for where folks are going. And it's tried to predict the impacts of, of population migration and what they're going to look like. And you know, uh, so uh, that's uh, one of those projects that will, will expand beyond that into other areas. So uh, excited to uh, work as part of that. And then a, a third thing, uh, a little bit uh, a different project is uh, with an organization, uh, nonprofit called the Advanced Mobility Collective. And they have stood up a forest tech center in Colorado. And what this is going to do is serve as a technology aggregator for wildfires. Uh, the executive director uh, of uh, Advanced Mobility Collective happens to, he, he was in Colorado in Grand County when we had a big fire there in 2020. Matter of fact, uh, that fire resulted in a major disaster declaration, which doesn't happen a lot in the Region 8 area. There's a lot of fire management assistance grants, but not a lot. Uh, of uh, disaster declarations. So I'm going to put the uh, expertise between academia and uh, the private sector together and working with the state of Colorado's center of excellence out there and uh, see what we can do to uh, not just on the response side of wildfires, but on the med mitigation side, the preparedness side and, and the whole gamut. You know, I mean, I know we're not here to talk about Colorado uh, center of excellence, but that if you guys have not checked that organization out, that is a group that you need to uh, get familiar with because they are doing some fantastic work um, specifically in the uh, aviation and fire uh, um, areas. It's, it's a great, it's a great organization. Um, I have a question that came in. This is uh, from Michael. This is for your exercises that begin on day XX of uh, sustained or recovery transition. Do you send out a short uh, lead up notes or how do you, I give a lead in the scenario uh, to start the scenario. 
Um, that's a good question. What are the scenario bases that you can see um, with the uh, Voltron uh, product, and and then how does that work with uh, you know giving that lead up information to the participants? Yeah, I think that is a fantastic question, and and it's one that we're we're gonna we'll, we'll be able to model that right based and and determine. I think it'll get a little bit more challenging as we get into the transition period uh, into recovery and uh, uh, that sort of thing, but. Uh, it, it, being able to model and scenario-based stuff uh, and, you know, determining what it's going to look like on day XX uh, is something that we'll, we'll definitely be able to do and will do. I mean, take a, a better example. And I, I did is uh, FEMA just released their uh, climate exercise guidance, uh, incorporating climate uh, change, climate adaptation into uh, exercises. That's, that'd be perfect for Voltron. Uh, you know, based on modeling that, that we see out there uh, impacts the, the right people in the community. So it's not just the responders exercise and uh, you're bringing in the, the, the mitigation side. You're bringing in uh, federal agencies that don't normally uh, get involved in, in that response piece with FEMA. So uh, the, the, it's endless opportunity uh, as long as you're, you're feeding it data that's accurate and, and uh, and in preparation, I, I, how do you you have to prep people for that, right? You can't just say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do uh, day twenty in the in Salt Lake City for Wasatch. You have to have a set of, of things that have already occurred, and so they understand where they're starting from, where the starting point is for that particular exercise. You brought up the idea um, or the, the the issue of disaster migrants, if you will, or disaster refugees, as some people call it. We've seen this issue just, just right out of the border just recently with everybody coming over from, from Haiti uh, to come into Texas um, from uh, from their earthquake just recently. Um, we're hearing stories of, of people moving in throughout Europe uh, or throughout Asia into Europe uh, due to uh, water crisis and stuff like this. Um, is, is this something that we're really going to have to start planning for uh, as as emergency managers of having these disaster refugees coming through to certain areas? I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, you brought it up. This kind of what's yeah. I think if if uh, the Department of Defense is certainly concerned about it because that's where this small business tech, uh, technology transfer project came from, and oftentimes uh, what what they're concerned about is is will have spillover effects into what we're concerned about as emergency managers. And your example of Haiti is a, a, an ex excellent one because the earthquake happened there and the, the migration started uh, to the, the southern border area. Uh, so how can modeling help predict that? Um, how, how can modeling based on climate change help predict where people are ultimately going to go uh, and where they're going to go? Are there going to be shortfalls uh, in food? water and everything else. So that's that's why I think that project is important. The focus is on DOD, but I think there will be the modeling that we do and the platform that we build will have applications, uh, certainly for the emergency management community. And and by the way, that concern isn't just from international people coming over from, from climate crisis or from other crises as well. I mean, we saw this with Katrina where, I mean, it was Louisiana, so something like 50% or more of the population of Louisiana moved. Um, and they they're still down twenty percent um, from the the height uh, before Katrina. So I mean we've seen this migration of people leaving uh, those disaster prone areas um, after after an event, you know. Um, and 
as the climate crisis um, keeps going, um, we're seeing, again, areas that uh, normally didn't have major floods, at least on a regular basis, are starting to flood more. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more uh, migration away from uh, from the coastal areas. Well, I mean, not necessarily the coastal areas, but from direct coastal impact um, into other areas, such as, say, and I'll use this as an example, and I don't, there's no data to back this up. This is just, a, again, a, uh, an idea is moving, say, from like Los Angeles coast up to, say, you know, Riverside or something like that. What does the impact have on the, uh, the Inland Empire compared to uh, with, with water and housing and whatnot? Is, is that concerned? Is that something that as emergency managers we, sh we should be concerned about? It's, a, it's an excellent point, and I, I think we do need to be concerned about it. I was uh, lucky enough uh, out in when I was in FEMA Region 8 to uh, get introduced and talk with Dr. Kate Brown uh, out of Colorado State University. And she's a disaster anthropologist. Which, you know, I didn't know we had disaster anthropologists, but she studied the impacts of, of one particular uh, large family in, uh, from, um, from Katrina and their move to Texas and, and the implications, the social implications that it had uh, on the family and, and that sort. So it, that ultimately gets back to my point uh, at the beginning of, of, of emergency managers partnering with academia. There's people out there, great smart minds that are studying this and that, that feeds into this innovation. They're, they can help us solve problems. So if, we be, if we're concerned, if you, know, that you feel like a major event, uh, either on the receiving end of a lot of people, should there be a, a hurricane you know, somewhere in the Gulf Coast and uh, where, where people are going to go uh, or you know, losing population or what have you, or, the, or the, the previous point that we were talking about on population migration you know, internationally, um, I, I think that the underlying point for everyone from emergency management is, is find those partners that are out there and find ways to go about engaging with them. Uh, it, they're they're hugely valuable. And, and I can give you one example of something that we did in Region 8 if you're interested on that end. Absolutely. So um, DOD, and DOD is a good model for a lot of the innovation stuff because they've been doing it for uh, a number of years and more rapid acquisition and things like that. They had a program uh, called Hacking for Defense. And don't get caught up on the hacking word. That's just problem solving. I'd say that to a couple of people and they're like, oh, that's the ball talking about, you know, hacking. <laughs> uh, and so we piloted the first Hacking for Homeland Security program with the Colorado School of Mines, uh, which is a, a really amazing engineering school right there in Golden, Colorado, and uh, very close to Region 8. And so what that looked like is you teach students entrepreneurial skills and problem solving. They identify what problems they want to solve. They have a, a sponsor and and then they go through and ultimately make these pretty amazing presentations uh, after a, just a, a semester worth of work. Uh, of the, the problems that we had, we, we had seven total. Um, one of those was state of Colorado problem, so it didn't have to limit it to FEMA. One was the state of Montana issue and one was our, our partners at CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure, Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, and they were the students did a phenomenal job on everything from, you know, trying to come up with a solution for a, a, a local power outage and, and you know, uh, all the way up to wildfire related stuff. And uh, in the case of the state of Colorado, it was training related. Um, there was a, a gamification version and that sort of stuff on the preparedness side. So uh, there are programs like that. And that was a pilot program that is, is now uh, continuing slowly. 
at this point um, in DHS that that you can leverage. But you don't have to have a formal program like that either. We ran a hackathon during COVID with Colorado School of Mines, a weekend event. They you know they offer pizza and and uh, some other stuff, uh, you know, small prizes and students just you know get involved in things. And we were looking for solutions uh, uh, that we might implement there in Region 8 on on the COVID. In fact, that's that's how I met Sean Griffin, our CEO. He was uh, one of the mentors on there. And I, I remember hearing him talk about planning and all that. I'm like, oh, that guy's, he's pretty smart. He's pretty smart. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I link in with him, you know, the standard stuff. And I never in my wildest dreams would, would I have imagined then that he'd be my boss, but he is. So right. kind of cool how the, the world is small. And he's Navy, by the way, just to say. Yeah, I, I know. We, <laughs> we we discuss such things. He was, he was uh, yeah, I won't get into the story about him, but uh, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave it to, for, for his podcast. Absolutely. Tomorrow on the 16th, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I, it, you know, it's this, this stuff is great. And, and uh, I, one of the things that I think is interesting you know, we're using tech, using words, right? And and so you say hack, and people go, ah, hack. You know, not not understand what the what the term really means. And then on the other side of it too is gamification. And when we when we talk about gamification, why is that important? There's well, there's two aspects of it, but uh, I'm going to ask it to you. Why are, why is it important on the on the learning methods of why do people learn better with gamification? And two, um, why does it make things feel more real when we do the gamification aspect of training i i think on the, on the learning side that one of the key benefits is the real-time feedback uh and and in-depth feedback that, that you can get uh from the gamification process uh hugely important because you know as well as i todd you know we, we put a lot of work into running these exercises we get through there and, and you know we get through them at the end of the day we have a lot a half hour for the aar and everyone's tired and, you know, we do a quick, oh yeah, it was good. Yeah. Good job, Apollo. You know? <laughs> and, and then we go away and somebody might, we might write up a report that, as I stated earlier, we don't, we don't necessarily look at. So here, you, you know, the other th thing is you, you can just take select pieces of it with select people and really deep dive into, uh, you know, pieces of the exercise. If you just wanted to focus on ES 15 and numbers of injects and, you know, real-time tweets and other things, uh, real-time being simulated, uh, coming in and, and uh, having them do their business, you, you can do that. So everything from full-scale, national-level type capability uh, to, I, you know, the to, to smaller versions of it, uh, I think are really beneficial. And, and there's there's a learning element to, to all of that. Um, and then, uh, you, you know, you take that and uh, if you take the, the analytics that go with this, you can then apply it and change plans, you know, policy, procedures, you know, uh, all, all that kind of stuff that uh, uh, I think will really are going to benefit the our entire community. Why do you think the private sector is resistant to doing exercises the way we do on, in, in the government side of things? I mean, it's part of it. It's the time. Um, it's, they're they're trying to earn money and profit and and they, you know the ability to, to take the time away from what they're doing to to come into one of our environments and exercise is is challenging for them. Uh, it's challenging internally too, especially when you're you know you see what what's, certainly COVID, but even before COVID, when you you want to get states involved in these uh, 
national level exercises and they have some other stuff going on. They, have, they were hit with the flood. They were hit with this. They were hit with that. And you get to a point where it's difficult to pull away and do a simulated uh, scenario uh, when you're dealing with real world stuff. I mean, a great example is we were supposed to have the off year national exercise in uh, 2021 for Wasatch. And one of my primary jobs that I, I, not my primary job, but one of the things I really uh, prioritized in as a regional administrator in Region 8 was, hey, there's this big threat out here at the Wasatch Front, as I, I stated earlier. And so we were happy to be able to get that level of exercise, but we couldn't do it. And, you know, we, we worked with this, the state and we wanted to, but it just got to a point where we had to pull away from that. And certainly, you know, we weren't going to, uh, on a good day, get uh, private sector involvement, which we were working on. Um, but in the end, it it, uh, it was going to be a challenge. Do you think product like Voltron will help with that bridging that gap between uh, with, with the private sector? I, I really do. Um, you know, a lot of the things we do with exercises were in person. Right. So, it, it, you know, can you get the local utility to come over uh, and, and those sorts? And we, we did do some of that where we would use our risk to uh, our regional interagency steering committee to um, bring folks in from local community to do at least a tabletop dialogue. Uh, so we did some of that uh, in, in Region 8. So those th there is value in ways to do it that way. But again, we were at the time we were in person. But now with Voltron, you exercise from anywhere. Uh, and you, know, you never you have people in different areas uh, from across the globe uh, work, working on, on the exercise. So I think that will that'll be well received. Uh, again, I, I, a couple of times I've discussed this. It doesn't have to be an all day event. Uh, you, you can you can exercise more frequently, but in shorter uh, durations to be able to engage people more. Otherwise, you know, setting aside a day, certainly multi days. Uh, is a challenge that everyone faces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're out right. And with uh, the idea of uh, uh, leaning down staff and 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 putting more pressure on to the the staff that you have uh, does create some of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Eileen says, I know professors who use simulations to study supply chain issues, and something that happened in the simulations actually occur and made the realization of simulations can bring out exercise issues that people are not aware of. Wow, that was a long one. Yeah. Uh, um, simulation does do that. Right. And, and with the AI, and just last question here, because I know we're getting on, on the hard stop here um, with the AI and the ML that you guys are using um, when you pull in like issues, like safe supply chain issues that are happening, um, you know, right now uh, with the shipping issues that we're having on off the coast here, <clears throat> um, does that build, can you build exercises upon, things that happen in real time? It will take a little time to build it, but certainly uh, we can we can adapt to situations like that. And and the, the whole um, Voltron, uh, the gamification could be used in real time as well to to. Uh, so that's that's a, a consideration uh, that actually uh, was brought up at IAEM. IAE, right. um, mumbling over that one or not <laughs> sorry Sometimes it's hard to say yeah. <laughs> especially early in the morning yeah. um how could people find you uh linkedin is a great way to find me uh i i encourage you to do uh linkedin uh, uh other lee at disastertech.com is pretty easy to remember um i'd like to uh i like to engage i like to collaborate um be excited uh, for 
for any of your listeners to reach out. If you have further questions, I want to know a little bit more um, on the uh, Project Voltron or you know DICE. Uh, we're actually doing a demo this Friday uh, at 1200 Eastern on the DICE platform. Uh, you can uh, find that, do a quick search on LinkedIn for Disaster Tech, and you'll see the post out there for registration. Uh, so that's a, another thing. If you're interested in what, what DICE looks like and uh, how it can help you, uh, please do uh, uh, reach out as we're going to do a number of these demos over the next few months. And all the information is also in the show notes, so you can you know go ahead and click on there. So if you're driving down the road, like I like to say, if your pencil's not sharp, don't worry about it. You can get in there and just uh, uh, push that button down there. Oh, and uh, somebody just put your your email in the in the uh, in the chat. So if you're on, on LinkedIn in the chat, you can grab Lee's email and uh, send them uh, Christmas gifts or something like that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we're at the we're at the end here, and just hey, everybody, I want to remind you um, that we are having um, we are having some additional stuff coming up here. Uh, we have a webinar alert. It's going to be enhancing the hybrid training model, uh, virtual EOC gamification with Sean Griffin and Wesley, Wesley Williams on December 16th at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. So uh, please sign up for that. And if you'd like more information on that, you can also uh, check that out. Lee, come, bring Lee back on here for a second. One, one thing, I, Lee, I forgot to tell you at the beginning of this, Lee was a was an Air Force pilot as well. And... Um, and flew the helicopters and whatnot. And Lee, thank you so much for your service and what you did for, for those of us out there. And not only did he do that, he also flew uh, rescue missions um, with uh, with dust off and, uh, uh, you know, bringing our, our, our men and women that uh, were injured uh, to safety. I do appreciate everything that you did over there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate that. Hey everybody! Thank you so much for spending time with us today here um, at Ian Weekly. You know it's a it's a, it's great to spend mornings with you. But don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast player. And hey, engage with us also on Facebook. We have the Facebook group. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, join over there. We do some fun stuff on the side over there and uh, other interactions that are going on. A great a lot of great conversations on the Ian Weekly Facebook group. So thank you so much uh, for that. And everybody, stay safe. And stay hydrated. See you next week.